Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thestorprods.com Movies and Television Podcast. The final movies and television podcast of, 25, of 2016. Well, said 2015. Hmm. Yeah, the final one of 2016. Mazel tov, I guess. I'm dead. Today we have Cora. Hello. I'm going out on a bang with this one. Oh yeah, this is going to be the I, fucking. I've watched. Yeah, I've watched shit. I've watched some stuff. Everything on my list of things that I watched was on my last list of things that I watched. <laughs> but it's just much shorter this time. Uh, see the mid-season finale of Shield. Yeah. It It was a thing. I'm not disappointed by it. I'll give it that. When I look back at season three, I was straight up disappointed by the season finale. I'm not that interested in the direction they're going, but I liked their handling of everything that was within that episode. The problem I have with the direction they're going is they're doing Ultron. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. Turn, like, it turns out Ada's become a rogue AI. Or has and she? When I, when I look at this storyline, I remember back to why Isaac Asimov wrote iRobot, which was... He was tired of all the stories of robots going crazy and taking control of humanity and trying to kill everyone and things like that. So he wrote a story in which they all pretty much did what they were supposed to and it was human error that caused problems. And looking at this, this is so uh, based on the... Promo for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. LMD. Live model decoy, you know. It looks like something I've seen before. So, I'm not overly excited about it. They could go some interesting directions. I'm actually most... The thing I'm most interested about is now the inhuman, uh, hating congresswoman who... Uh, kind of got in bed with S.H.I.E.L.D. in order to try and break a person out of one of those inhuman husks. Which, again, I do have problems with that because apparently the key to getting him out was, hey, why don't you call him down a bit? Okay, he's <laughs> yeah, good. Just, yeah, it was just like, hey, I'm like, going uh, to speak nicely, nicely to you for 30 seconds. I mean, he had been apparently in that thing for like seven months watching TV. And to be fair, maybe she shouldn't have left it on Fox News if she wanted him to calm down. But <laughs> all joking aside, I, I don't get how he could have been in a heightened state of anxiety for seven months. So I'm maybe they'll give a better explanation. Maybe there's a reasoning beyond just oh, she spoke softly to him. Probably not. But, yeah, I don't know. But at the moment, that story and the interactions with uh, Mace are probably the most interesting implications going into the uh, second half of the season. 
but I actually really liked everything in this mid-season finale. I, I thought it was decent. You know, not spectacular, but a solid episode. Yeah, I... I think the main problem with it is that it was called a mid-season finale. Like, like the big kind of reveal at the end was like, hey, fuck it, going forward. But... Everything else, yeah, it worked fine as a like as an episode of Shield, as like part of a storyline. But I don't know, I didn't get yeah, like a it, very it big sense of closure about anything. I, I think that it would have been more interesting if they had continued with the supernatural elements through the second half of the season, which it doesn't look like they're going to be doing. But I. I don't have any significant problems with it either. Oh, no, no they, it's not, they're not significant problems. Yeah. It's just like little minor annoyances that kind of build up a bit. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Also, apparently Coulson knew about Ghost Riders. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that because on one hand, yeah, he was surprised and confused by Robbie early on. But then again, given his tendency to delve into shield archives it's possible that he found something out about it that he didn't know at that time but it's not made entirely clear it's just like yeah no he's not even the first it's like wait how did you know that eh. hey uncle let's go have up. a drink in the let's go have a drink in the break room <laughs> yeah So that yeah, happened. I've got a number of minor annoyances, but compared to season three, I'm still actually really pleased with how this has played out. Oh yeah, it's been a it's been a solid season so far. It's benefited a lot from lowered expectations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. What? Just, just benefited, or yeah, benefited from lowered expectations. Just this is a fucking. TV show attached to one of the biggest fucking things of all time, basically, in entertainment. And the fact that we went in thinking this season would, like, dreading this season would be as bad as the third one has made it, like, fucking, has, like, elevated it up. I just find that kind of sad. In some ways, it's, of course, a product of the fact that it's tied to one of the biggest, you know, universe building exercises that cinema's ever had so i i I, i'm not too surprised that this is a problem that it ran into at some point but yeah it's it's a frustrating show (laughs) (laughs) uh and to be fair, I've stated before, I don't think that season three is actually bad, but it's just not interesting. It's mediocre in a way that I think the way I often put it was it's less than the sum of its parts. Because you have a bunch of mildly uninteresting elements that just come together to provide something that is really uninteresting. Okay. But yeah. Season 4, mid-season finale, I'm moderately pleased with. 
Okay, then. What else you got? Okay, I wasn't certain you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been taking the lead in a lot of these shows lately. Okay. Uh, I got caught up on Lucifer. Yay! Today. Yeah. Um, no, that's been actually really fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm, it really has. It's it's impressive to me that in the first episode, I remember stating that outside of Lucifer himself, the side characters weren't really that interesting. And it's amazing how much that's turned around. <laughs> because pretty much, whether it's Maze, the psychiatrist, Detective Espinoza, any one of them can carry an episode pretty damn well. Yeah. Like watching one of my highlight one of the highlights for me might have just been watching Detective Espinosa try and kill Lucifer uh with a uh, with Azrael's blade because he kept stealing his pudding. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job and, with that too. Like they like they were building up so much yeah. about it and it actually does become like it, you do kind of see into Dan in a way that we haven't really seen before. And show that, like, even with all the fucking bullshit happening with him, he's actually he's actually a pretty all right guy. And I'm glad that they finally started hinting at why Decker is resistant to a number of powers and abilities and why she can cancel out Lucifer's immortality. And yeah, not so much as him. Like, they actually just kind of... Not getting into the specifics, they just they kind of straight up say. fleshed out the specifics of what that means. So I'm saying hint. Okay. Because it's like, oh, Divine Intervention did a thing. It's like, well, the, there's more that could be said regarding the situation, I think. What does that mean? But, come back next Come back next year to finish off, finish off this season of Lucifer. Same Lucifer time, same Lucifer channel. It is Fox. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm I'm really enjoying how the show's been handling its characters. I'll admit that the mother is still probably one of the weaker characters, but even she's actually had some interesting. Uh, they they put her in some interesting directions. Uh, in the last few episodes. So I feel that she's weak when compared to the rest of the cast. But even then, she does provide moments like Lucifer learning that Dan had slept with his mother. (laughs) (laughs) With Dan being, of course, completely oblivious to the situation. Yeah. I think think one of the problems with the mom is... I'm having a hard time getting a read on her. Like, yeah, like, like there are times where, like, you know, building the mystery of what the character's intention are that can work. This show hasn't really been doing a great job of that, and she just kind of seems to be just kind of going back and forth between being like a good mom and being evil. Like, like we like we first showed up, uh, she was like doing the whole motherly thing, and then it kind of looks up to the heaven, which is like like the coil, like yeah, I'm gonna fucking kill you, dude. And then uh, Uriel says stuff like that too. But then everything else with her 
has kind of been some kind of weird slapstick routine. Well, I just, actually just, just do like, kind uh, of like how they handle that because she has absolutely no concept of human life. Oh no! Like so like when Maze first shows up, all the villainous stuff that she does is just done with her being completely nonchalant about. It. It's like, well, I was going to kill her, but Aminadil ha- tried to talk me out of it, and I decided to go go along with him. It's like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it when yeah, uh, blow up her car. Yeah, I like it when like uh, when Maze goes to visit her after she like starts settling into her human life, and she's just like trying to like uh, she's, she's trying to you know like discipline her kid by like tie him to like a goalpost or something, and it's like my husband he gets up and I just have sex with him. But I can't do that with a kid. And what are you what I'm doing here? Yeah. <laughs> he's getting so fucking Maze's flustered. response when Aminadil tries to get the bomb back from underneath Decker's car. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> just the image of a minideal sitting in the psychiatrist's office with the wrecked uh steering wheel column in his hands ah <laughs> 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 oh, the show's really good again a really surprisingly good show yeah every time I feel like every time we talk about this show, we say that. Yeah. Well, again, the premise. Yeah. It. Oh, I I remember. I remember thinking back. Like, I, I remember like reading that they were gonna like they had announced, "Hey, Fox is doing an adaptation of you know fucking Vertigo's Lucifer." I was like, really, Fox. And it's a police procedural. <laughs> that fits more into line with what I was expecting from Fox. But still, Lucifer? And Which then the work was it that wanted to try and make The Walking Dead a procedural? <laughs> yeah, and then and then we then we get into it and it's just like just fucking incredible character work from fucking everybody involved. Yeah. God. It's kind of blowing my mind. I watched three episodes of it this morning. I. Because <laughs> uh, I needed to tear myself away from FTL. <laughs> I've been escaping a lot through games and have had jury duty. <laughs> So that's part of why I haven't been watching as much. Yeah. Speaking of good episodes, Steven Universe had another episode. Yes, it did. And it was quite good. And, you know, it's one of those things I I talked about lowered expectations earlier. This is an interesting dichotomy because the Thanksgiving episode they had suffered heavily due to heightened expectations. I I don't tend to keep my ear to the rail on things like this. I think that's actually almost verbatim of what I say in the review that I've written, but have not finished submitting. It's not on me this time. even, uh, Even so, I had heard 
rumors that oh it's going to have a fusion between peridot and lapis so it's you know got all kinds of things it's a two-parter it's named jim harvest what could all of this mean it's a thanksgiving episode yeah i I wasn't even i wasn't even like a i tend to look into things a bit more but even then like i'm not like fucking digging through forums looking at goddamn like theory videos about like picking apart fucking like promotional shots but watch a trailer Read synopsis, look at the title stuff, and yeah, I was expecting something from Jim yeah. Harvest. I looked into it less than Dead Man did, apparently. But even so, I had heard rumors and crap like that. Pretty much just through osmosis, I sat there and information came to me. But welcome to the internet, motherfuckers. Actually, welcome to birdie telling me that stuff but the information finds you <laughs> yeah three gyms and a baby much better and it's not a spectacular episode but my expectations for this season are a little bit low at this point <laughs> so because again i do feel that this is probably the weakest season we've had since i don't know it might be like the weakest start to a season possibly since season one i'm I'm not certain i c- thinking back to how season two started and trying to compare but yeah i'm i i did really enjoy this episode it's a nice good flashback episode that in many ways, colors how each of the gems dealt with grief. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it was really cool. Like looking like getting a look at a time in the Steven Universe timeline that we've yet to really see. Yeah. Like like so far with uh like anytime we've done flashback stuff, it has been it has been like before Steven was even like a fucking thought to anybody and or after everybody has relatively moved on and settled into the new status quo of their lives this is like right on right in the middle of all the gems trying to deal with what the hell just happened yeah so yeah it is steven is born he is a baby he it's his first like it's around christmas or his first winter or whatever and he was just born, so the gems, so like Garn and Amethyst Pearl, they have yet to really grasp the idea of a baby. Yeah. So and even Greg can't quite cope with it because he doesn't know how to view Steven in a sense. Because, again, not entirely human. Yeah, but he is, he's, he seems to be doing the best out of all of them in dealing with it. Yeah. The concept of what Steven currently is is less alien to him than it is to the gyms. Yeah, like he's still kind of weird. He's, st- he's still like kind of weirded out by, oh, so you're my kid, but also my wife. Yeah, but but like from just a purely aesthetic kind of thing, the way that the way that like it all feels to him, it's like, oh, you are a baby. I need to take care of this baby who is my son. The other gems are like, yeah, oh, no, you're the two, the two issues he has difficulty coping with are a 
irregularities with like the gym and stuff. He doesn't know entirely how, how Steven differs from your average human baby. And B, the fact that he's Greg. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, he lives in a van. He is about he's, one half of a Saturday Night Live uh, routine. Yeah, he is squatting at his at Vidalia's house. Yeah. Because the heater yeah, in the van was busted. Put his van down by the river and you have a Saturday Night Live routine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so while Greg is doing what he can, uh, the rest of the gems are like, oh, it's still Rose. Just she's fused. We just need to unfuse her and then we get Rose back. Well, that's Garnet's approach. It's interesting how each of them perceive it. Amethyst thinks that she's transformed and Pearl views the baby and the gym as being separate and wants to try and split them up. It's it's interesting how each of them cope with the situation and try and perceive it. Well, it's almost like it's almost like they're all in some kind of denial and just trying to like put their idea of what gem of what gems are onto Steven. Exactly. It was really cool. We've never really seen this era of Steven's life or the life of the gems with Greg and everything. And seeing where they are now to where they were is always really interesting to me. No, and I I do love how Steven caps it off by pointing out that they viewed gems as not being changing as being sta- uh, not stagnant per se but fixed in a sense they viewed themselves as a constant and that humans were different and always changing and steven just straight up points out wow you guys were so wrong look at where you all are now <laughs> and it's one of those moments where the message becomes clear and to be perfectly honest i might not have hit on instantly if he hadn't said it um, maybe when I wrote up, write up the review, it would have hit me, but no, it, it's one of those great moments that feels natural where he says, Hey, look, here's the message for this episode, but it feels like a natural observation for the character. Yeah. Yeah. Look at, look at back on all the episodes for this season. It, it really has been one of the weaker seasons, but it's, it's really weird because it has, it's like a it's like a baseline kind of thing with occasional blips of what Steven Universe is at its best. Yeah, like mindful education, uh, that uh, shit with Jasper and like her fuse and her like trying to fuse with one of the corrupted gems. That was the previous. Oh, oh, you're talking about the image from Mindful Education? No, I think I think that was part of this season. That was season three. Season four ended after the episode where Steven was in space. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I thought kindergarten. Yeah, start with yeah. the episode. Where, yeah, no. Kindergarten kid kicked off the season, which was a weird way to start the season. Yeah. It's kind of indicative of what we were dealing with throughout much of this season so far. We had like Last Man on the Beach and, City was a fairly like low key episode, but still was doing good Steven Universe stuff. Yeah, Mindful Education, Last One Out of Beach City, and Three Gems and a Baby are, in my opinion, the standouts of this season so far. Absolutely. Which, I don't, this sounds like a backhanded insult to those episodes, and it's really not, but that is an indication of the quality we've been dealing with this season, because in season three, 
I think that only Mindful Education could be considered amongst the best episodes. And yeah, like, the episodes like uh, Last Night at Beach City and Three Baby, Three Gems and a Baby, they're good episodes. Like not we're not we're not dissing yeah. the episodes. Like it's just it's like it's like when Doug Walker talks about Avatar. Oh yeah, where it, where like when you say like when you say that an episode is bad, it's only bad in the realm of com- like compared to the episodes within the show. Like outside of the show, it's all still pretty good. Yeah. It's also like, you know, a couple of steps above the standard of what people think is good. But within the context of the other episodes of the show. Yeah, the season ain't been great. Yeah. So get ready when we come back. Rebels. So just get ready when we come back for Team Universe with some Tiger Billionaire. And what I can only assume will be an 11 minute anthology episode. Uh. You want to see what Ronaldo's been up to? You know, the show does have a habit of giving me titles where I'm like, oh no. And then the ones that I think are going to be great, like Jim Harvest, turn out to be mediocre. And then the ones that are like, oh, three gems and a baby turn out to be great. So who knows? Maybe a a follow up to Tiger Millionaire will actually be exactly what I needed. It's called Tiger Philanthropist. <sighs> yeah. I'm not putting my money on that one because that sounds very much like a Beach City characters focused episode. Uh, no, the one but... the one after is called Beach Shorts. Yeah, that's not going to. Yeah. You want to see how the relationship fit... between Lars and Sadie is progressing? Actually, a little bit, but. You want to know what them fucking pizza people are up to? No. Well, too damn bad, bitch. Like, Lars and Sadie are a pair that can turn in some pretty mediocre or frustrating episodes, but at the very least, I find them interesting. I understand people don't like Lars, and I actually fully get that. In a sense, that's, I think, by design, but it doesn't always work for the purpose of entertainment, but I always find them at least interesting. The rest of each city is a little more hit and miss. We're going to be checking in with Mr. Smiley getting aggravated at one of his theme park rides not working. Yeah. Onion's going to be there the I'm, entire I'm time big... eating pigeons. So, yeah, Steven Universe will be providing us with Grables, apparently. <laughs> I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of the Grables episodes from Adventure Time. Some people do like like them, and I get that. I really do. But I, for me, Adventure Time became interesting when they started providing hints at a gr- broader universe, and these little snippet storyline things don't work for me. But yeah. So Rebels. So I've also been. So I've also been watching Rebels. I know what they're going for with this season, but it is there is one point of frustration that's starting to weigh, which is they have not given Thrawn a victory, which I don't just say that because I'm a fan of the character, but as a threat, he needs some victories. And I get the feeling we're going to probably see him 
land a major blow against the Rebels in some fashion towards, essentially, the midpoint of the season. The midseason finale, because Star Wars also does that a bit. And I do want to add, I have no problem, actually, with midseason finales. They can seem silly, but shows have often taken breaks through the winter. So, in the climate of current media, it makes sense that you'd want to try and give people something to help keep them interested through that break. So, I fully understand the purpose behind it, and um, I, I do find it a little silly. It's like, you know what we used to call that in the old days? A season finale. But, in truth, I'm okay with it, by and large. Well, that yeah, makes one I'm... of us. <laughs> it's better than them taking a break with nothing. To, like, a just... Again, your complaint against Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was that it wasn't enough of a mid-season finale, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, okay, I, uh, getting back to, you know, the idea of, like, uh, you know, in the context... If this, yeah. was just, if this was, hey, we're going on break. Maybe like, oh, okay, just fucking, it was like, this week on the mid-season finale. Yeah, the term is something that I find moderately annoying, but the concept I kind of get. Because if they're going, again, it's in some ways just the product of the circumstances. They're going to try and have something that'll keep people interested over the break, and... If they're going to have something special and interesting happening in the episode, they're, of course, going to also hype it up. So it all just kind of is a product of the circumstances. And a lot of the time, they never do anything to actually make it interesting. It'll, it'll just That's be like, 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 fair enough. Like half the fucking mid-season finales that I see are just... Artist, hey, we had an episode, and then at the end we stapled on some kind of hook for the next story arc or some kind of maybe resolution thing or fucking whatever. Oddly enough, like the pinnacle, in my opinion, of like a good mid-season finale that I think of is the mid-season finale for season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because, yeah, no, I was really fucking interested to see where they were going with that shit. Was, what one was that? Was that the an eyeless man walks over to a obelisk, picks it up, and states, "Are you seeing this?" Right. Yeah, that shit. <laughs> yeah, they kicked off in humans as part of their mid-season finale. Okay, like well, that that that's like a fine kind of thing. I yeah, I and that's what I consider a good mid-season finale. Yes, and I'll be talking about and... a mid-season finale in a bit. That also mm-hmm. did something like that that worked really well. Yeah. And Rebels, I don't actually recall, like, I've often fallen behind during seasons of, the first two seasons of Rebels, so I don't think I actually watch them when they reach their mid-season finales. So I can't really, con- I remember that the season two mid-season trailer was really good, <laughs> but, like, seriously, it's about on par with the season three trailer. Uh, but yeah, my suspicion is that they're going to have Thrawn finally strike some form of blow against the rebels and claim a major victory. But the buildup is starting to wear thin because he really hasn't struck 
any major blows against them. We're told that they're, you know, being pinned down across sectors and all kinds of stuff is happening to them. They're losing pilots, but we don't really get that sense. And that's where my problem with the show currently lies. And there, don't get me wrong, Thrawn as a character is working for me. I actually really like watch how in the most recent episode we watch as his plan is undermined from the inside and he predicts that his plan is currently being undermined from the inside because it's not going the way it should. <laughs> and he's trying to figure it out and uh, trace it back to the source of the problem. And surprise, surprise, Callus is... Uh, you know, Fulcrum. Oh, we wouldn't have guessed. But Boy, am I guard. <laughs> the Rebels were a little too surprised by that, even though he had pretty clearly dropped a strong hint to them. <laughs> but I, it was a decent episode. If it wasn't for the fact that we're this far into the season... I, this wouldn't be a problem for me. But I... Like, in an odd sense, I think I got a... Stronger... I think I got a stronger sense of the Inquisitors closing in on them in Season 2. And... They were a small handful of weird people that could fly with lightsabers. So I, I feel that they need to make the threat more clear in a sense. So like showing some more of his victories, like showing him out there actually doing things, not just saying that he's doing things. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I've mentioned before, I think the scene where Thrawn used a stun bolt on Ezra is legitimately the most action he's ever been in in Star Wars. <laughs> but because he is a tactician and I've actually in the past wondered how combat capable is he? Because we never like in his book series never was in combat. The only time he was technically ever in combat was when he was assassinated. <laughs> By his own bodyguard. So it's. <laughs> Is that part of his plan too? It's one of those. What? Was that part of his plan too? No, it, the, it turned out that the race of bodyguard uh, of aliens that he used as his bodyguards had been tricked by Vader. Because he had, I think, essentially like poisoned their planet through mining efforts and then hey he fixed their planet for them so they pledged a loyal uh, pledged loyalty to him and leia they recognize leia's scent and she uncovers the truth so eventually it works the the truth works its way back to those serving on Thrawn's ship and uh during the final showdown one of them assassinates him. And I think the, w the way I remember it was 
uh, the commander that followed that served under Thrawn turned around to see Thrawn sitting in his chair with the uh, the alien daggers just sticking out of his chest, and Thrawn murmured, "But it was so artfully done," and then passed on. <laughs> Okay. But <laughs> well, like when I say like doing stuff, I don't mean like, you know, actually out there in the field. No, I, but- I, I, I get what you meant. I was just clarifying that, essentially clarifying that, yeah, doing stuff does not necessarily entail him being in the front lines. But yeah, actually just seeing you know, Just like him, him like standing on the bridge of a ship watching a bunch of fucking rebel ships just explode. Having having like people being having like people you know trying to run away like screaming the microphone. How do they know we're coming? Oh god! And then exploding again. Yeah, I do also, and this is just whereas my previous complaint was more about how the show's just handling its progression. This is more of a character thing. I do question if they're making Thrawn too ruthless because Thrawn's likable. People like serving under him. Because as long as you're not incompetent, he's not going to kill you. Like, he... People failed him throughout the books, and he promoted them, because even though they failed to, say, capture Luke Skywalker or carry out their orders uh, in the way he had hoped, they did try to correct for their mistakes. And he thought that he should, uh, in a sense, promote innovation. If they failed to try and correct for their mistakes, he killed them. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. We also had a heist episode that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't terrible, but that that was... I already kind of am forgetting it. (laughs) Okay, then. And we also had the uh, Mandalorian episode, which I submitted a review for. That was decent, but it was a follow-up. It was a follow-up to an episode that I had next to no recollection of. And based on what I can tell, no one else remembered the uh, uh, Protector of Concord Dawn either, because back when the season three trailer was first being showed people were all asking it's like oh is that agent callus no one remembered that it was the mandalorian leader i'm having a hard time remembering myself uh they, they went to the planet concord dawn which looks essentially like earth from adventure time and i.e huge massive chunk out of it and oh, that they fucker. find, yeah. I now, to him. be fair, he was wearing a uniform in the first episode that he appeared in, so you never like saw his hair or anything. But yeah, he's that first episode was very unmemorable. I remember that Sabine was angry and blew some Mandalorian stuff up. And I know from looking back at the synopsis of that episode that apparently Kanan had been saved by the Mandalorian leader. And I just completely forgot that. Kanan wasn't... I don't remember any of this. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, The Protector of Concord Dawn was not a very memorable episode. I barely remember anything about this season so far, except the fucking... Well, this was last season. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, like, this season. Like, I... Oh. You don't remember the Mandalorian episode? No, I kind of. Like, okay. They, like, he... They go back to the... They go back to the planet they go back to concord dawn because they've lost connection with the protectors the uh sect of mandalorians that patrol the region and there's a and new butthole bring, in charge who's like who's like sworn fealty to the empire and sabine gets a jetpack then loses yeah. it yes okay i, I but that, they also make hint, they do have some interesting hints they talk about they mention uh sabine's family and how they've also allegedly pledged themselves to the empire though it's suggested that her mother may be more a hostage than an actual conspirator and i actually like i mentioned this in the review i'm very interested in where they're going with that given how interesting I found Hera's relationship with her father. Yeah. So seeing how Sabine plays off her parents could be fascinating. Uh Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's... I've really fallen behind this season. I I get that. A lot of... I don't just say this as a fan of the character. A lot of the Thrawn episodes can feel kind of pointless. A lot of the non-Thrawn episodes. Did I say non-Thrawn or Thrawn episodes? Oh, you said Thrawn episodes. I I meant a lot of the non-Thrawn episodes, because the Thrawn episodes are the ones that actually seem to tie into an overarching plot. And the non-Thrawn episodes say, Hey, Ezra ended the Clone Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ezra's still likable, you guys, guys, right? Is he going to go to the dark side or stay on the light? I don't know. But yeah, it's been a little inconsistent, but uh, that's Rebels. So, you know, I suspect that when we'll probably have a few patches of episodes that are really good, and then the finale of the season will probably be spectacular. Okay. Because that's that's their general approach. I mean, I still go back and watch either the fight between Kanan and the Inquisitor or the fight between uh, Ahsoka and Vader. So, I mean, those are pretty much high points for the series. Yeah. But aside from that, I started watching season two of The Wire, which might be my least favorite season of The Wire. Because of the five seasons of The Wire, I've often stated that my favorite would either be three or four, and my least favorite would either be season two or season five. And in the case of season five, the problem is that they're just trying to rush to wrap everything up. Plot lines that could have been played as a little more realistic and grounded feel slightly disconnected from the show because they're trying to get it all wrapped up. And I think 10 episodes because HBO had not renewed the series and 
they had originally hoped to have a sixth season and they weren't able to fit that in. So they're just rushing to fit, uh, fit everything in. Season two has a very different but interesting problem in that it kind of goes against what the series is. Because the concept of The Wire is, on paper, it's a sh show about a drug investigation. Just straight up. That is the very simple, very easy answer for what The Wire is. You just say it's a show about a drug investigation. But from that, it serves as a uh, analysis of essentially a character study of Baltimore and, by extension, America and human nature. Season Fuck. two is not a show about a drug investigation, though. <laughs> Season two is a show about a longshoreman. Wait, and what? So when I... Like, season... Season one kicks off when the our quote-unquote main character, he's not in every episode, but he's the closest we've got, McNulty, mouths off to a judge and ends up kind of forcing the police department to actually investigate something. Oh, that sounds hard. It's not even that it's hard. It's that it involves allocating money, and they're all about trying to cut down on numbers. They're all about the statistics, trying to make sure that the murder rate's low, that they solve as many of, uh, that they, their clearance rate is high, that they have a certain number of busts. It's all about trying to have presentable numbers, in a sense. And having an investigation involves allocating people, resources, all kinds of crap. So there's no, like, insidious force working against them outside of... Bureaucracy? Just the system, Yeah. Season two picks up with McNulty now being part of the Marine uh, unit because he actually mentions in, I think, the first episode to uh, someone that he hates the Marine unit. And as he puts it later, fucking Jay. I know he fucking told me that I didn't want to be in the Marine unit. Because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they, they go out of their way to just shove him off somewhere where he'll be miserable. So when they find a body, the Baltimore Homicide Division ends up essentially convincing a local county that, hey, no, this body probably entered the water over in your area. We don't have jurisdiction. <laughs> So McNulty pulls out tide maps and starts analyzing the uh, water flow and determining when the body entered the water and ends up sending all of the information to the uh, neighboring county, at which point they say, hey, yeah, one of your guys pointed out to us that turns out this is your homicide. <laughs> <laughs> Which does lead to the uh, line, I think it was, fucking McNulty, goddamn Prince of the Tides. <laughs> <laughs> so, they shovel together a, uh, a special operations unit to investigate the death, and they find on the docks a cargo container kill filled with, I think, 13 more dead women. And... This triggers season two. The stuff with the drugs is still going on off to the side, but it's largely disconnected. Like, it all it all connects. But unlike season one or any of the seasons that followed, 
you don't have the very clear, clearly defined, essentially, spine of the series. You know, if you wanted to watch the show as this broad analysis, you could. But you could also just focus on it as the drug investigation. Season 2 sprawls. It becomes less focused, and that might be why it's one of my least favorite seasons. It's still got the writing and everything. It's got wonderful dialogue. Even It might even have some of the best lines of the series. But... Yeah, it's kind of hard to beat fucking McNulty King of the Tides. <laughs> or uh, Idris Elba ranting about 40 degree days. Also, isn't... I'm getting this wrong, but isn't the... Did you watch 300 with me, or was that Birdie? Uh, that that was me, and yes, that is McNulty. Okay, the guy gets stabbed in the coin purse is McNulty? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have That's never seen The Wire. Like, the fuck did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I actually was looking up quotes from The Wire earlier today, and had one of those images where they show a character, have the name, and then have some line underneath it. I don't know what the term for those particular memes are, but I found one. It was just showed an image of uh, Dominic West had, you know, the name Jimmy McNulty and under it. The fuck did I do? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's interesting because the longshoremen by and large don't show up much in the later seasons. So it does feel a like a weird odd man out from the series. You know, most of the major players are still involved, but it's not even tonally dissonant, just structurally dissonant. So I'm enjoying it, but it's still a weird one. It does have the advantage of introducing the character Brother Malzone, who is a bow-tie-wearing member of the Muslim Brotherhood who, in his first appearance, shoots the character Cheese Wagstaff in the arm with rat shot. And Cheese Wagstaff's played by Method Man. So, (laughs) it's just one of those scenes where this huge-ass guy going to punch him and just all of a sudden just a scrawny Muslim Brotherhood guy wearing horn-rimmed glasses shoots him in the arm. It's like, pellets in plastic, gentlemen. Rat shot. What should concern you is what's currently in the chamber right now. A hollow point of my own creation. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. Take that, cheese wagstaff. (laughs) he was an interesting character with a name like cheese wagstaff he has to be Uh, he he, oddly enough is a significant player in the series and while he is often got like some comedic moments he's not presented as a joke character he actually is presented as being significant like the biggest joke that they ever had was a moment where they catch him on the phone talking about how uh 
how he's been depressed ever since he had to, you know, go and kill his dog and how, you know, he was my dog, man. And he, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was essentially betraying me. I thought he was not living up and doing proper work. So they take him in and they reveal that they were listening in and they try and corner him and ask him for information about that. And the viewer knows all of the actual logic behind this. But when they come out of the interrogation room, Daniels comes up to them. It's like, were you able to uh, charge him? Yeah. Improper disposal of an animal. He literally shot his dog and <laughs> was depressed about it. And they thought they had him on the phone talking about killing a member of his crew. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's the kind of comedic stuff that Cheese was involved in, but... No, he actually does some pretty fucked up stuff in the show. <laughs> His name's Cheese fucking Wagstaff. Yeah. Like, I know that fucking street names are a thing. What the fuck do you have to do to get the name Cheese? Oddly enough, the opening scene of the series is uh, Dominic West's character asking someone on the street, you called him Snot Boogie? <laughs> like, kid goes to school one day, too poor to get a coat, catches a cold, his nose is running shit because his mother couldn't provide for him, and does anybody give him a tissue? No, you call him fucking Snot Boogie. This conversation is, of course, had sitting like 20 feet away from Snot Boogie lying dead in the street. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> so how do you get the name Cheese? Did he, uh, walk, did he walk into the fucking gang hideout with a fucking wheel of Gouda? I think Cheese is a... Euphemism for money. I've heard of Cheddar. Yeah, that was uh, his name. That was a Method Man's name in Keanu. Casting jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why cheese? I don't know. I also don't know why Weebay was called Weebay or Stinkum was called Stinkum. I get why Stringer was called Stringer because he strung everything together and created the whole web by which everything fucking operated. But. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that all of the names made sense to me. I. I need answers. I also don't know why Bird was called Bird. I guess Little Man was probably... Sh Little Man... M Little Man might have been one of those ironic names. He might have been big, but I don't recall. What did Little Man look like? Fuck. Anyway. Eh. And the Greek was... Uh, the Greek was... Super into anal? Turkish? He, he comments on the irony of his name. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, 
Oddly enough, I do know why Bubbles was called Bubbles. Because <laughs> when he shot up heroin, he formed bubbles with his. He would uh, sometimes form bubbles with his mouth. I got that purely from context, actually. <laughs> the Wire, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I highly recommend it, even if it is season two, which is sort of the odd man out of the series. <laughs> Okay, what else you got? That's pretty much it. Okay, then. So, uh, I'm start off with a relatively light one. Uh, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. I haven't watched that since the season premiere. I have been keeping up, and it is still pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, with... Uh, Producers don't remember. Uh, the show is about a girl named Star. She's princess from other dimension. Has a magic wand. At the end of season one, uh, her magic wand exploded. And she got it back, but the star in the front of it was only half a star. The other half of the star is on another wand that is now in the possession of the main bad guy of the series, who is training himself along with his spider and eagle. And yeah, so uh, season so the season finale has aired, aired a little while ago, and it was a bit of a weird one. You don't say. I know, right? So it is the yeah, the show where the daughter from the middle is a magical princess from another dimension. Might have had a weird ending. Yeah, so... It's prom. Because of course it is. And Star and Mark are going as friends. Then Star's like, oh, I need to bow out because I need to go to the seance of a dead clown. Then Jackie DeMarco, Wait, the weird... seniors? Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's some kind of dance or something. I don't know if it's actually prom, but okay, it might as well okay. be prom. Yeah, so Star bows out to go with uh, a weird friend of theirs to go for a seance for a dead clown. And at the same time, uh, Jackie, the skateboarding chick Marco's into, asks him to the dance. And at that point, Star starts getting jealous. So the two of them are out on a date. So then Star and Jackie, they go out on a date. It's all fucking... Great and what have you, they're all having good times and whatnot. Stars kind of freaking out, uses a dark magic spell to spy on them and accidentally destroy Jackie's skateboard. Then Ludo shows up. Okay, I will point out that those sentences did fall apart a little bit because I was trying to decode Star and Jackie go out on a date. Sorry, Marco and, and Jackie. Fr- yeah. Sorry, my bad. I. Marco and Jackie Started on a date. getting that from context, but yeah. Marco and Jackie on a date. A few times. Star is at the graveyard next to the dead clown with their with the the friend. I cannot remember her name for the life of me. Uh, and Glossrick. Where are we talking about Princess Ponyhead or? Uh, no, not Ponyhead. It's uh, one of the friends from school. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jenna. Jana. Jana. It's Jenna. I'm actually surprised I wouldn't remember that, but I might not have actually gotten to that character's introduction. 
Uh, let me just... I, I think she was in the first season. I don't remember anybody from the school in, from the first season. Let me just check here. Oh yeah, and it's Jackie Lynn Thomas. Sorry for that for the other for the late for the girl character that uh, yeah Jana. Jana, okay. Yeah, she was introduced in the first episode, like ever. But yeah, Jana. Uh, so yeah, the so yeah Jana and Star are and Glosseric are in a cemetery about to try to summon the soul of a dead clown. Jana and Glosseric are arguing over whether or not his nose is real or ma- and made of meat. It just occurred to me that Glosseric looks like what was that character? Uh, Squidward. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about Glosseric as a character. I think he's fine. He got a, he got a bit more screen time in season two. He started kind of annoying. I, I've I've been liking him. Yeah, so that yeah, so Jana, Jana Star, Glosseric hanging out at the cemetery. Uh, Star spies on Marco and Jackie's date. Uh, they she fucks up their skateboard. Uh, then Ludo shows up and they all start fighting. Uh, it's going pretty well, but while they're on their date, uh, Marco gives Jackie looks up and sees the Blood Moon. That's coming back into play. I think I. I had to watch like one or two more episodes from season two because I feel that wasn't a season one thing, but that I did see it. The no, the Blood Moon Ball was season one. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was uh, shortly after the introduction of Tom. I thought it was the episode that he was introduced. Yes, it was. Yeah, in- introduced Tom okay. for the Blood Moon Ball. Then Marco goes down there. They dance, and then the Blood Moon has been. The Blood Moon has kind of been forgotten about until right now. At which point... It shows pretty random, which means that it's difficult to form a proper sequence of events. But yeah, so that yeah, so uh, Marco and Jackie, they run off. Uh, they find Star. Star had made a black hole. Then seeing the two of them together, the black hole turns green and starts sucking her into it. Because, you know, jealousy and evil or whatever. Ludo grabs a spell book, fucks off. And that's where the season ends. Yeah. Uh, Star is freaking out. She lost Glosseric. She Ludo has a spellbook. Everything's fucking falling apart. Glosseric is now subservient to Ludo. And this has actually kind of been built up. Like, uh, while the stuff with Star and Marco, they've, they've largely been, you know, the kind of random episodic stuff of just, of just, hey, this is what's happening today in their life. Uh, Ludo's actually had kind of a progression to him. Like they, like every once in a while, they will do, they will have like part of the episode be about a monster or something happening in Muni. Usually, Buff Frog and Buff Frog going out and being investigatory. <laughs> and yeah, so he discovers that Ludo has been building an army of rats and has the magic wand that he's using. And then, and then Ludo, you know, comes off, tries to fight, tries to fight Star, and then finds out there's a spell book. And then we don't see him for a while, and then he comes back with Eagle, with Bird and Spider to steal the book. It was actually all relatively well set up and built towards. Which is kind of, which is kind of why. Humorously, I, the one thing that I had seen that had been set up was Eagle and Spider, 
And despite how weird that episode was, that was the one thing I didn't have questions about going <laughs> when you mentioned it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, he's training his eagle and spider. It's like, oh, okay. Fair enough. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I really do like this show. And I hope going forward, there are more there are more episodes like the Ludo stuff from this season. Because that stuff, I think, worked really well. It was... It was almost serialized in that, in that way of just... Or just the events clearly into the next and stuff, and... Like, the Marco and Star stuff over in the... Over in Earth, in our dimension, in, like, the Earth dimension or whatever. That stuff's all fine, but it's kind of starting to wear thin a bit. Hmm. Like, uh, I feel like I'm having a similar problem with this that I have kind of with Adventure Time now, like that now that I'm like halfway through season six. Where yeah, I, I where like there's think just I get what you're going for. Where like uh like yeah, like the rain like in Adventure Time, the random stuff and like the weird humor and everything, that has been enough to keep me going for now. But now that we're so deep into it, I kinda want more. Like, more of the plot yeah. stuff, more of the world stuff. And we only get, like, we only get, like, light dustings of that, like, every few episodes, maybe. And any, like, dusting of the yeah. plot stuff is, like, unless it, like, unless it is something entirely new, uh, it just goes over my fucking head. Like, there was an episode in, like, season five or six, I think, where they brought back a character from season one, and I forgot he had existed. It was the weird worm king guy who ate dreams or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so every time they, so every time in Adventure Time where they're introducing something new, I have to actually go to the fucking Adventure Time wiki to see if this is a new character or not, because I just don't know. Like 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 any of the plot stuff, like big overarching plot things. Like, like, you know, the world or stuff with our main characters or anything. Like, that stuff does relatively stick. But anything outside of that core group is just nothing to me right now. And in none, of it, and none of it sticks. From, not to distract too much from Star, but uh, if you're in Season 6, have you gotten through Stakes yet? No. Okay, that's later. And yeah, um, and so with... a. Uh, I forget the season, how the seasons are set up, because again, kind of the same problem. I, but in the case of Adventure Time, it's a matter of yeah, you got so many seasons. I'm going to forget what's in each one. Yeah, and so with a uh, star, the humor and the scenarios aren't visually or as bizarrely interesting as stuff in Adventure Time. So while that stuff is good it does kind of begin to wear thin a bit quicker. And what's been, what's already been keeping me going was, uh, was having the, like, was having like the, like a ro- like on a roller coaster, like the, like the drops for the plot. So that's kind of been able to keep the momentum up and just keep things going. Just things start to get yeah. a bit, things start getting a bit too slow. Then drop comes as we get a bit, as we get focused on Ludo and what he's doing and like buff frog and his investigation of the weird hole in the Muni cornfield. Buff Frog was kind of great this season. 
yeah, so that stuff kept me going. And then going into this last episode, it was really weird, but it also did have like progression for two different storylines that don't really intersect all that well. Mm. Where the thing with like Jackie has kind of been there from the beginning. Like, you know who I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jackie, right? Uh, the crush? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's been there from the beginning. And so in the last couple of episodes, it's kind of been, well, over this over the course of this season, he has been, you know, moving forward a bit with her, like saying, like doing more talking to her and stuff. And then he just straight up asks her out and she's like, oh, fucking yeah, that's great. And turns out she's kind of into him. And so having that reach a point of like actual importance and actual like a major milestone for that relationship and then there's also this shit with Ludo and him stealing the book and that's kind of a very big deal but those two storylines are on like two entirely separate tracks going entirely different directions so on the, so on the one side it's like oh hey there's this, there's this character thing that's been going on since the beginning and there's also something that matters And a clown. I guess. And this is the thing. This feels like a kind of crappy mid-season finale, but this is the season finale. Yeah. Like, I'm, like remembering back to fucking uh, the season one finale, that was like a big thing. Yeah. It was, it, it was, like, it was, you know, they, it was, the show was, you know, at, you know, no, 20 minute episodes broken up into like 11, broken up to 10 minute parts. But, you know, the, you know, the season finales are usually the full 20-minute length for a full story. That first season, it was fucking storm. It was a star storming the fucking castle with toffee in it, uh, trying to uh, save Marco and then blowing up the wand. And then this was 20 minutes of, oh, hey, a date. Marco doesn't know what to do on a date. Oh, hey, Star's getting jealous while trying to summon a dead clown. Then Ludo steals Glosseric in the spellbook. And Star fucking breaks down crying. Seems like a logical progression. Yeah, naturally. Oh, also we get a bit more info about uh, Toffee. Uh, apparently the one who cut off his finger was one of Star's great-grandmothers. Hmm. I think I think it was the dark evil one. But yeah, it yeah, like a Star goes kind of in... Like Star goes into the wand or her memories or something. I can't really remember the episode, but yeah, she goes in there and ends up finding this tower of all of her old, uh, like all of her ancestors and stuff. And one of them is, and one of them is like one's one's about her mom. One's about this other guy. And then one of them, it has toffee getting his finger cut off in battle with one of stars ancestors. Huh? So Toffee's important. Toffee will be coming back. It's it's just kind of weird. We haven't really seen anything about him. It's all been focused on random bullshit with Star and Marco. And then Ludo building a power base with an army of rats. The season was not as good as the first. Fair enough. But it had its moments. It had elements. Like like anything with Ludo was pretty great. 
and anything like in Muni with like that investigation and Buff Frog doing all this shit. I really enjoyed that. It just did not gel at all with any of the shit Star and Marco were doing. And it never really Side worked note. together. Side note. While I haven't watched the last two episodes of season seven, I can argue that it is much better than season six, which is actually one of my least favorite seasons of Adventure Time. I was just like, I, I was listening to everything you said, but I did earlier skim over uh, the episode list. I'm like, oh, right. Season six was the one where I said that. I think it was the first time the show had taken a step back in terms of its presentation and writing. And it's like, I should share that with him when, once he's done with star just cause yeah, season six is not great. Yeah. And like after watching that, uh, that video I sent you is like, so this is basically adventure time from jelly, jello apocalypse mm-hmm. that does kind of, what he says in that video, while not to the same extent, I do feel very similar to how like he, he talks about the show, just, just hey, we're introducing this character, we're doing like a fucking character arc that just stops. We're doing this story arc that just stops. We got yeah. this big bad who's not really anything important until the last episode of the season. Yeah, I definitely see that. Uh, Actually, I, but even if Finn and Jake don't tend to be the focus of the best episodes, it doesn't change the fact that those best episodes make it all worth it. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from like, with that. Uh, season seven, season seven could have turned in nothing but garbage with the exception of the second episode. And I still would have called it excellent because it had the second episode. Which made me happy. So. <laughs> okay. Varmints is a very good episode. <laughs> and Stakes was pretty. The Stakes miniseries was pretty good. Okay then. So yeah. Star Wars Force of Evil. I hope they step things up for season three. Yeah. I don't know that I'll be catching up on it anytime soon. But if I hear good things about season three. I wouldn't have any problem trying to get caught up. But at the moment, I'm just not in the rush. Actually, think like thinking about it now. Uh, I've kind of been spoiled by cartoons nowadays. <laughs> like that is true. It's like, come on, we don't have enough of an in-depth, overarching storyline with symbolism and meaning. Yeah, we need to fucking wrap up. We need to fucking like expand on this character arc for this really deep and complex backstory for this fucking magical princess on this Disney Channel show. It's like, God damn it, I'm watching this old repeat of Tweety Bird and Sylvester, and it's like, they're clearly screwing up what is supposed to be symbolic of King Lear. Clearly. <laughs> what? what are- <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what we need is we need a fucking seven-episode miniseries detailing the complex and detailed relationship between Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. How do they get chasing? When do they first meet? How long until they broke up? We need to know this. For this is record, very important for their characters. For the record, I guess I'm in a very SNL kind of mood today because, yes, that was a reference to Laser Cats. 
Do you get that it's King Lear? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need to bring back. Um, we need. We need to bring back Lunatics Unleashed. That's the Looney Tunes cartoon we need. <laughs> Uh, I feel a brief explanation. Uh, a recurring thing when Andy Samberg was on SNL was that he would try and push for a sketch series called Laser Cats, believing that the two most popular things on the internet were lasers and cats. So it was a guaranteed success. When he was on SNL, and, that and weren't like, wrong. <laughs> uh, with the like fourth intro he'd always go to lauren michael and present like some very low budget crappy sketch where they were fighting with cats that shot lasers out of their mouths and in the like the fourth entry uh steve martin goes in to see lauren michael he's like so i wanted to present to you blazer cats it's laser cats. Laser cats. <laughs> and it's a very ridiculous, bizarre, over-the-top thing. And, like, when it comes to an end where uh, Keenan uh, Thompson? Yeah, Keenan Thompson takes his helmet off and reveals himself to be Steve Martin and was their father. <laughs> uh, it, like, cuts back to, like, the three guys just standing in uh, Lauren Michaels' office. And Steve Martin goes, do you get that it's King Lear? one of my favorite lines from saturday night live felt the need to explain it (laughs) but yeah we are in this weird yeah like second cartoon renaissance as just things are getting to such a level that unless things have like some fucking serialized storytelling or visuals that are fucking impossible to explain that just nothing can really exist anymore. I just look for the serialized storytelling. I don't, the visuals don't carry shows for me very well. There's a reason I always tell people, yeah, no, trust me, Adventure Time gets plot. But there is a reason why Adventure Time existed beyond the first season. That is true. But it's also the reason where if people hadn't told me that it was good, I would have stopped watching it midway through the first season. Yeah, it, you got where I'm coming from, though, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I've always looked for. It's the reason I turned to anime when I was younger. And why I've always been so skeptical of Western animation and... I mean, part of it is the fact that children's animation now tries to aim for as broad a market as possible, which means attracting audiences that are older as well, while still appealing to kids. And I think that's a good thing. It's because there's no fucking animation for adults that has plot. Uh, Rick and Morty has plot. In my opinion. What? Rick and Morty has plot. Uh, fair enough. I was going to say Archer, but I was like, eh, there's not really a plot there. I've often stated that I feel that The Simpsons ruined Western animation for a long, long time. Because for about 20 years, anything in Western animation that was targeted towards adults was The Simpsons. Family Guy. Fuck it. Their commercials make fun of the fact that they're the same thing. 
it's and even departures i've heard mixed things about bob's burgers but on paper you can see why even now it's hard to look at that and say it's anything different yeah it's the animated family sitcom yeah and i hate that so much yeah but then uh but then like at some point shit like c lab 2021 started coming out I never actually saw that. It's from the guys who made I've Archer. Heard the name. Okay. It's kind of what they started with, and they moved on to fucking Frisky Dingo. Yeah, my exposure to Adult Swim stuff was very limited, so it was harder for me to judge that. A lot of Adult Swim animation was not the same. Was not necessarily the same as The Simpsons, but it was still non-narrative focused comedies. Because that was just the only genre for adult-oriented animation. And then and, Avatar Last Airbender happened. Yeah. Which didn't necessarily, again, isn't primarily adult focus. It's on Nickelodeon. It's intended for children, but it appealed to adult audiences. And it helped at least make it so that children's animation could appeal to an adult audience because i for the longest time i stated that the reason i went to anime was because animation didn't grow up with me and oh yeah i get that you know so i just could i was could not stand the options that were available to me it's one of the reasons i often have a bias even now against western animation because it's still just kind of ingrained in me that uh that lazy, unadventurous genre. And did Finn lose his arm again? Sorry, I'm looking at an image for an upcoming Adventure Time miniseries. I just noticed he has a robot arm. Yeah, I think he did. Uh I I saw a thing where I saw a thing where like his arm got fucking fucked off and then his then like his like the grass sword came back and like ate Susan Strong or something. I need to watch the season finale. Uh, but but yeah, that that's that's generally where I come from if I seem dismissive or not prone to look into western animation. It's usually because growing up through the 90s and early 2000s, there wasn't much there for me. You know, you had the stuff that was, when I was young, you had Batman the Animated Series and things like that, right up until around 2000. But even then, nothing targeted towards adults, unless, I don't know, that Spider-Man animated series that they had on, like, MTV or something. I don't know. Yeah, Spider-Man Limited was the, the fucking was... most mature show ever. No, not Unlimited. The, was it Unlimited? Spectacular Spider-Man? Which... I don't fucking know. Which there was one that took place in the future that Caveman was talking about that was garbage. Uh, okay, it actually wasn't the was future. Was... Okay, the rest of, it actually wasn't the future. It was another planet that had its own or, futuristic esque yeah. version of New York. It was another dimension. Yes, I think. But that was Spider Man Limited. But was okay. What was the one that was uh, based on the movies? Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> you forgot that existed, didn't you? I don't think I ever knew it existed. Oh, man. Looking it up. Yeah, it's bugging me, because I never actually watched it, but I remember hearing it was garbage, but it tried to appeal to an older audience, and uh, yeah, that worked well. So, broadcast on MTV uh, features character continuity from the 2002 Spider-Man film, Spider-Man The New Animated Series. That's it, yeah. With Neil oh, Patrick, I was right about yeah. it being MTV. Yeah, it is also known as MTV Spider Man. <laughs> oh, oh, so yeah. Uh, oh God. Oh Jesus Christ! I just looked at the animation. <laughs> oh God! What? Oh, no. Oh fuck! God! Oh God! Oh God! It is. It has been a long time since I looked at I need to actually go and <laughs> It makes fucking Iron Man yeah. Armored Adventures look like Pixar. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Kind of. <laughs> oh man, if you ever wondered what Ruby would look like if it was lower budget. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Jesus, God, Christ. <laughs> Aren't you disappointed that you missed out on this? <sighs> I'm here to broaden your horizons. <laughs> I don't know if this makes it better or worse, uh, but, the, the, but the main character from Sharknado voices Harry Osborne in it. Uh, I, this oh. was a thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, the images for Electra are particularly hilarious. Uh, oh god, that that was an experience. So yeah, this is the animation that I grew up under. Uh, <laughs> That was a fucking Which, experience. To be fair, that's not tra- <laughs> that's not traditional animation. I for- actually forgot that that was uh, weird cell 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 shaded garbage. Yeah, just stumbling over my tongue. Oh. <laughs> Anywho, moving along. Aren't you glad that I was here to just provide all kinds of. <laughs> insight you actually just to, wow early 2000s animation it's like fucking 20 minutes ago a birdie actually texted me hey we were doing the movies podcast tonight <laughs> so anyway moving on so dc just had their big quote-unquote four series crossover huh, how did that turn out it turned out all right Okay. It gave it gave the best episode of Arrow since two since season two, with like actual emotion and shit, and like people acting like they gave a damn. Hmm. But the thing, the thing that kept running running through in my head, 
so in the world of like the flash verse or whatever there are there are very few enhanced individuals that are of importance enough to be featured on this team like there's flash firestorm arguably the atom steel new character and then bring it over supergirl it's got like five people and when they're talking about the dominators it's like oh no army on earth can stop them and just in my head the entire time it was like no army on earth can stop them what we need is a guy with a gun because one of the people they recruit is john diggle a man with a gun and that's all he brings. Well, it is what it says on the tin. I hate to jump topics back to Marvel for a second, but did you look at the cast for this goddamn show? Uh, yeah, like uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Spider-Man. Neil Patrick Harris, Rob Zombie, <laughs> Kathy Griffin for some reason, Michael Dorn, Michael Clark Duncan, Keith David... Clancy Brown, Harold Perenow uh, Jr., who I mainly remember just from Constantine, but he's been in a ton of crap. Ed Asner. What the? F- John C. McGinley. People need work. What the? F- Maybe they told them it wasn't finished animation. <laughs> No, no, we still got to do (laughs) post-production. Anyway. Sorry, back to to that. I was paying attention, but every so often I'd glance back at my screen and see a new name that made me go, oh my God, what the fuck? And it was becoming harder and harder not to say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this whole fucking big superhero team that Barry brings together has five superpowered people, and then, like, and then we got Heat Wave, a man with the flamethrower. Green Arrow and Speedy, they have bows and arrows. Sarah has a stick. John Diggle has a gun. And they're going to fight this army of aliens that nobody could possibly defeat. I it, it's it's the yeah. kind it's it's the kind of suspension of disbelief that you need to have in order to believe that Batman could be stand up with Superman on the same level. Yeah, I was about to say it's kind of the inherent problem of the DC universe. But here's the thing: in the DC universe, Batman is kind of the odd man out in the Justice League main like cadre. Because, like, like Flash, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, Aquaman, they all are powered. They are all, like, incredibly powerful yeah. people that like, that, like, should they choose, it would be incredibly difficult for an army to stop them. Batman's whole thing is that he is, while he is, while he is proficient in combat, he is mostly there in a technical sense. He is there to come up with a plan and then execute on the plan and... Just kind of sneak in and get out before anybody notices he's there. Like in like in the uh, Just League animated stuff, 
they do a very good job of showing that Batman, while he is a very good fighter, while he is like Earth's strongest human or whatever, he still knows his place on the team. He still knows what he's capable of. Though one of my favorite moments from that series that I actually had just thought of shortly before you brought it up uh, was when Darkseid was just kind of shocked because Batman dodged his ray. Yeah, but again, that was like, yeah, that, that was using his acrobatic skills and stuff and having a target to throw in front of it. Yeah. And and yeah, while that is, you know, something impressive, it it made sense as to how it would happen. In yeah. that whole situation. No, I, I, I know. Yeah, but that is kind of great. But still, like, there was an instance but where, yeah, like, I, Batman walked in like a fucking cop, like a fucking, like, cavalcade of supervillains. And then, and then, like, Clayface is like, well, I brought some friends of my own. It's like, oh, shoot, why didn't I think of that? And then fucking Superman punches through a wall. Oh, wait, I did. Like, Batman is an important part of the team, but he is not one of their heaviest hitters. True. But it is one of the, and to be fair, there have been plenty of incarnations that have handled that poorly. Yes. But what you're saying is that they don't maintain that balance well enough to help make it feel believable that these characters all have a place. Yeah, like this team is an even split of super people and regular people. And with Supergirl there, there's there's an instance in uh, the Flash episode because it it's technically a four show crossover with four episodes from each show crossing over but the supergirl episode doesn't really cross over it's just it's an episode of supergirl and at the end Barry and Cisco show up okay but like in the flash episode uh Oliver's like all right so say supergirl you are an alien that means you can work that means you can act as a stand-in for the dominators because that's how aliens work and so they all go to fight her. She doesn't move, and they can't beat her. Yeah. And so they expect to take on an army of aliens who, according to according to this logic, are near the level of Supergirl. And the fucking, like, eight of them working together with superpowered people involved can't do shit to her. And she's not even trying. Then you get to the next episode and they take out like a fucking like they take out like a fucking ship of them. Uh, like all non-powered people. Because the Arrow episode is uh, that like at the end of the Flash episode, uh, they the Dominators, they like fucking tractor beam up a group of like five people, all non-powered. It's uh, Thea, Oliver, Diggle, Ray and Sarah. Beams them all up and puts them in basically the Matrix. Just throws them into this constructed world where Queen's Gambit never went down, Dad never died, never became Green Arrow, all that shit. Okay, I would have given this show credit if the way they took it down was turned out that uh, Oliver had set up two just massive... Ballistas. crossbow guns yeah <laughs> and shot the uh ship in the back when it thought it <laughs> didn't need to worry 
Yeah, that kind of would have been great. It's like, ha ha, it's my recurring strategy. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, like, uh, Oliver and the, them, they get trapped in, you know, this little, like, you know, fucking whatever perfect life or whatever. Uh, but in this apparently perfect life, uh, Diggle is the Green Arrow. You know, Natch. <laughs> uh, then they break out of the- stupid. Then they break out of the Matrix and steal one of the- pe- steal one of the Dominator's escape pods that they fly. Somehow. And get back I, to Earth. I actually did play through this. I, I've I've been playing Saints Row Four, so I actually do think I know how this ends. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. So as they get to Earth, and at, and all while this is happening, fucking Cisco and the Legends go back into the past, like the fifties, where they get like taken prisoner by a group of fucking secret government dudes, and then in the and then in the present, it's time it's fucking time shit, whatever. It all ends with uh, Flash and Supergirl putting a bunch of nanotech on the Dominators to put them into excruciating amounts of pain until they leave. Then they do, and they win. Yay! Cool. My lips are bleeding. So big, so the big like kind of thrust of this story arc, the storyline, is the fact that Barry made Flashpoint, and so everybody is fucking freaking the fuck out. Uh, the the legends more so like the legends are like reacting more appropriately to the time stuff than everybody else because the whole point of legends is that That's- they their thing yeah like they go through time stopping people from changing history and the barry's like eh, fuck it but then Diggle gets super pissed that uh barry changed the timeline so that instead of having a daughter he had a son and he's kind of okay. he's kind of like missing the point like it's, it's like with cisco like like big like a big thing for this part of the season has been that cisco has kind of been hating barry because when Barry went back and changed, when, when Barry went back in time and changed Flashpoint, made, like made Flashpoint and then came back, the timeline changed that his brother uh, was dead. His brother Dante was dead, and so he's been so he's been like super bitchy at Barry when he found out that in the previous timeline Barry, like like Dante was alive. But the thing they're kind of getting miffed about in the wrong way is that Barry didn't when Barry like went back and changed things back to the way they quote unquote should be. He didn't pick and choose who lived and died. He didn't pick and choose the changes. Yeah. Like, so getting, like, pissed at him was like, oh, you killed my brother. It's like, no, I fucking didn't. I changed the timeline, and then that happened. Like, the legends are the appropriate reaction of you fucking changed time. What the fuck is wrong with you, you jackass? Meanwhile, everybody else is acting like Barry very intentionally went back in time and changed things so that lives so that their lives would be worse. Like, yes, be mad at Barry, but be mad at him for the right reasons. And then Sis, and what was really done with all this is that Cisco, while being pissed off at Barry for altering time, 
he then goes back in time and alters time. He's like, oh, fuck, I did this. I am sorry, Barry. Yeah, then we get a big old fight on a rooftop. Which is the big climactic battle between the Dominators and the League. Oh, also the Hall of Justice is there. Okay. Yeah, apparently Star Labs just has like a fucking air hangar. They get like a fucking air care, like an airplane hangar that looks exactly like the Hall of Justice. But yeah, otherwise, other than that, like decent character work and stuff, good effects. The fact that it happened at all is also kind of impressive. Like they, they said in all the lead up to uh, like the release of this thing, like this is the biggest television crossover event in like this is the biggest crossover event in TV history. And I don't think they're wrong. It's just it should have felt bigger and it should have been better like as the as i think it was it was fine like there were better episodes for with the exception of arrow there have been better episodes in the seasons leading up to this event but the event itself was fine got mostly what we wanted out of it uh then moving on uh to the Flash and Legends, they both have their mid-season finales. Legends. We talked about we talked about it earlier, but Legends did a really good job of having a mid-season finale. So what they did was they went back in time to 1927 to try to fight Al Capone. Who was teamed up with the Legion oh, of Doom. Walk Empire crossover. They really are going broad with this. Yeah, yeah, so they go back to 1927 to fight Al Capone, uh, who has teamed up with the Legion of Doom. And the Legion uh, got themselves a new member in Malcolm Merlin, a.k.a. John Barrowman. Okay. Yeah, they changed the timeline so that Al Capone... I forgot he was still a thing. Yeah, he's still a thing. Very popular thing, apparently. So the okay. so the timeline changes so that Al Capone becomes the mayor of Boston. Or no, mayor of Chicago, sorry. Not Boston. And don't, and don't get me wrong. I very much like John Barrowman, so I kind of get that. But the show never used him all that well. He's used better here. Okay. He, he's mostly used uh, for trying to get trying to get like an emotional response out of Sarah. It was like saying, hey, give us this medallion. Give us this thing. I have this I have this like history with you so we can fucking do this. And then also for a fight scene. Hmm. Yes, they go back in time to stop Capone. Uh one of them takes uh they Elliot Ness almost drowns, so they have to so they have to like go in and replace him as part of the as like forming up the fucking task force going after Capone. And then we also get some uh Reverse Flash face stealing. We get just we we get like the Reverse Flash and Demian Dark work fucking spectacularly off of each other. It's all really great with them, and we also start we also start getting an idea of what 
the league's what the Legion of Doom's actual goal is. They got this medallion thing that activates a essentially a I think like a time compass or something to try to find the spear of destiny, which can rewrite reality. You know. Because yeah, of Jesus. The spear of destiny. Yeah, once they get the spear of destiny, they can get hit by trucks and not feel it. And then Actually, summon that, the that son that of Satan. The reference had layers because then Count Vertigo will try and acquire it. <laughs> Actually, no, he doesn't. He just leaves it there, doesn't he? Yeah. Eh, whatever. So, yeah, and then at the beginning of the season, we lost Rip Hunter, and then in uh, the season finale, we kind of get him back, see what he's been doing since then, which is he adopted a terrible American accent and became a film director in the 1970s, making films about himself. I never questioned what Rory Williams would sound like with an American accent. I actually don't recall that actor's name off the top of my head arthur darville he's the last what oh yeah that's right i actually knew that holy crap uh sometimes you hear a name you're like oh wait i knew that (laughs) Uh, no arthur darville yeah he i never like why would they do that because it was really funny when it, when I when I heard it, it was just like oh oh oh. Like here's the thing with the tone of what Legends of Tomorrow is, the accent kind of works. Okay, like it it is this like really over the top, just terrible accent that works in this show that is borderline camp. Ah. Uh. Oh, also, uh, Heatwave started seeing a hallucination of Captain Cold. Okay. Be like, it had this solid episode that kind of upped the stakes for the threat, introduced what the threat's like ultimate goal was, and then also gave us a hook of what's going to be happening with this fucking main character from the first season. Mm. That's a good season. Fina- that's a good mid-season finale. Yeah, keeps us hooked, keeps us interested, but also delivers just a good episode on top of it. Like, I have no idea who the guy is playing uh, Capone, but I really liked him. Like, he looked he looked like he was about 10 years too young to be playing the role. But I think he still gave off, like, a good 1920s gangster vibe about him. Well, in the 20s, he would have been, like, what, pushing 30? Yeah, he looked like he was pushing 23. Ah, okay. Yeah, then, other end of the spectrum, we had the Flash mid-season finale, which was flat. Just. Like, we find out that the guy, like, find out that the new important actor they hired is actually a villain. Oh, my gourd. Yeah, Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy is Dr. Alchemy. Kel Surprise. Uh, they they capture him. They use him to contact Savitar, who is like, hey, I'm from the future. You guys fucked me over, so now I'm a fuck you up. They take the stone, throw it in the speed. They take the weird stone thing that they use to summon him, which the Philosopher's Stone, which was an unintentional reference. 
They throw it into the Speed Force, and Barry goes to the future where he sees Sabotar stab an iris through the chest. Which I'm assuming was met with a resounding yay from people around the world. Nobody likes Iris. Uh-huh. Yes, he gets pulled back and then in just a really flat, unimpressive, uninspired, really boring way, they officially make Wally West Kid Flash. Which still aggravates me every time they call him that. <laughs> because Wally West in this show is at youngest 22. Wow, he's almost the same age as Al Capone. Yeah. So, having somebody who is 22 being called Kid Flash by somebody who is 25. That's incredibly infuriating to me. Especially when, in my own fucking head, I fucking wrote a decent way to introduce him as actually being a kid and still keep a lot of the same story beats they did. But no, it's, oh, fucking Francine overdosed on drugs, whatever, while she was preggers. And Iris was three. Now we can, now we're going to be calling this character Kid Flash, even though he is pretty much in every respect, pretty much in every respect, not a kid. So calling him Kid Flash is stupid. And also, it wasn't even like a big fucking hero reveal. It was just like, hey, I opened a box and then inside is the fucking suit. And it wasn't even like he opens the box and there's like the music swells, the camera pans up to show the suit. It just lifts it up and he's like, oh, fuck, no, you didn't. It's like, yep, yeah, welcome to the team. And then just pulls it out of the box. No music change, no triumphant anything. It's just, hey, fucking Merry Christmas, you're a superhero. Oh, and I looked up the guy that played Al Capone uh, in Legends of Tomorrow. His name is Isaac Kogan. K-E-O-U-G-H-A-N. And you might know him from nothing, but he was (laughs) in like one episode of Grace Point in a very minor role, which in a very odd way crosses him over with Arthur Darville. (laughs) Because Arthur Darville was in, uh, oh, what was the name of that show? Fuck. Uh, Grace Point? No, the British show that it was based on. Broadchurch? Fucking me. Thank you, Broadchurch. Yeah, he was the priest on Broadchurch. Is this show going to become the new saint elsewhere? Just everything what? is connected to everything else? Well, everything's connected to everything else because of how extensive the whole DC crap's becoming. Uh, in terms of television, obviously, it's nowhere close to Marvel, but in a sense, it's also more concentrated than Marvel. Yeah. Because it's all on the CW. Yeah, and also, they also don't, like, there are there are less opportunities and or less, like, situations where where he would say like why why wouldn't he just call the fucking rest of the league or whatever 
Because yeah. since it's television, they're able to have just like season long storylines be just incredibly personal and like relatively low key. Not not everything has to be fucking end of the world. Oh my god, the city's about to be destroyed by a blue light going into the sky. My name is Rip Hunter, and I've come to bargain. There. With a terrible American accent. Huh. Legends of Tomorrow Actually, is keeping things up and being kind of the front runner for the best show in the CW superhero lineup. Cool. I'll have to... Never watch it until I, I make you watch that. it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what? I feel like some... At some point, we're, I'm, at some point, I'm probably going to make you guys watch fucking superhero shows on this fucking website. Mm. Yeah, The Flash is continuing its downward spiral towards becoming the next Arrow. And then moving on to the final thing, I started well, watching Westworld. But wait a minute. If The Flash is beginning its downward spiral to becoming the next Arrow, what's Arrow going towards? Uh, cancellation. Okay. Yeah, uh, like Stephen Amell in an interview said, he would not be surprised if this turned out to be the final season of Arrow. Yeah. Like he said last season, they're supposed to have a come to Jesus moment, but they never reached it. So just fuck it. We're kind of doomed. <laughs> it would actually be, it would actually be kind of, I, this, this is something that would never happen at all. But I would actually really, I would actually really respect the CW if just next season they start the episode with every single character on Arrow dying and then rebooting the show as Green Arrow on Supergirl's Earth, where they where they get to have like the same cast and crew all doing like all doing like their own stories and stuff, but having it actually be about Green Arrow and not Batman. Hmm. It would never happen in a million years. But if it did, yeah. I would have to give the CW a pass for like the next decade. That would be the ballsiest fucking move on television. Yes, it would. But it's never going to happen. So get ready for season six of Arrow, where they introduce, I don't know, Dr. Fate, but make him like super fucking hot so Thea can bang him. You know what fucking happened? Look, look, look at the goddamn Ted Grant. What? Wildcat, a character who, oh yeah, a character whose uh, whole thing was that he was super old. I just hadn't heard what you <laughs> said. Then they made him twenty five and Which, killed to him. To be fair, you acknowledge. Okay, I didn't know they killed him, but you did acknowledge you were actually okay with that version of Wildcat, at least when he was introduced. Yeah, when he was introduced, he was fine. Then they killed yeah. him. Okay. And also, I the, the thing in my head is still sticking there. It's like, like, hey, I'm fine with you, but also the only reason you are you is because they want you because they want you to be a viable option to fuck one of the main characters, and they can't have fucking sixty nine year old asshole out there trying to mac on a twenty year old. Yeah. They're not HBO. I was gonna say they're not Clint Eastwood in any movie he's ever been in, but. <laughs> Speaking of HBO and kind of Clint Eastwood, uh, Westworld. <laughs> Started watching that. And is it as good as the movie? Better. 
Yeah, not surprising. Yeah, and actually, speaking of 69-year-olds macking on 20-year-olds, uh, Ed Harris does uh, drag uh, Evan Rachel Wood off out into a barn for some late-night action. Huh. Yeah, so... For those who don't know, uh, Westworld is a new HBO show. Uh, well, not new. The first season wrapped up a little while ago. But it's uh, from Jonathan Nolan. Uh, based on the Michael Crichton book and movie. Where it's a theme park completely staffed and completely like filled with advanced animatronic people to create and create a quote-unquote authentic Western experience for the, for their patrons. Also, for the record, there's no Westworld book. Oh, I thought there was. No. Michael Crichton directed and wrote the movie, but there was no book. Oh, weird. I always assumed that there was a book. Nope. Okay, yeah, so no book, just a movie. Just based on the movie. And yeah, it is... It is a very similar setup, but they are building it more up as having this really weird mythology about it. And from what I've read about what happens later in the series, uh, going kind of Battlestar Galactica with Cylons. Huh. As the series will progress, because, you know, when you have androids who can look and act exactly like people, you're going to do that. Okay, enough about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, How so what do you think of Westworld? <laughs> it's it's pretty good so far. Uh the first episode is largely taking place in the park itself and kind of has a little like a bit of a bait and switch in it. It starts out uh following Evan Rachel Wood, uh her character Dolores, one of the hosts as they call them. She is living just outside of town with her father. She is a painter. Uh, and then while this is happening, we also have James Marsden coming into town on the train. And all around, everybody's talking about like, oh, man, this is going to be so cool. Everything's so authentic here. You know, all the all the guests and stuff on the train talking about it. Uh, he's not really reacting. Uh, gets into town and then starts, you know, going up with Dolores and stuff, all that shit. And then as he's bringing her home one night uh, to find her father murdered, uh, Ed Harris shows up. And James Marsden tries to shoot him. Does nothing because it's Westworld. He fucking blows him away. Then drags Dolores into the barn. Then it's the next day and everything resets. But it's all slightly different. And they also get a look at outside world with the people running the place. Uh, We get to see some of the production of the actual androids. Which is all done through weird, like... 3D printing almost. Yeah, I saw that. Which, while it looks cool, doesn't really give off the same air, like the same weirdness and the same like imagery of the movie. Yeah. Because the movie. Sorry, if I sound weird, I'm scraping the edges of my brain trying to find any good Red Dead Redemption reference to make involving Marsden and Cowboys, and oddly enough, I'm not coming up with anything. Red Dead's kind of very situational references. But its main character is John Marsden. I am aware. (laughs) It's like, how do I not have anything? (laughs) 
And yeah, so first episode is largely focused on just the park and the and the like the hosts in the park. Mm. When you get into the second episode, uh, it gets more into with the guests. Uh, it has Jimmy Simpson uh, coming in as a new guest to the park, and as he's just kind of like getting used to everything, he's coming in with a buddy with like with a person that he works with who is a longtime visitor and who is in this world a complete sociopath. You know, like you would if you were the kind of person who would come back to a world of just fucking unlimited opportunity of for debauchery and violence. <laughs> and then we also get more stuff with Ed Harris, who is looking for the maze, some deeper level into the park. And then Anthony Hopkins is there. I, I, I can't really think of a way to talk about the show without just going into every single plot point that happens. Mm. And I don't want to do that because that just kind of gets boring. Yeah, I understand that. But I am really enjoying the show. It's actually, it's bizarrely refreshing to see Monument Valley again. <laughs> just like seeing those mountains, that desert, that all that shit in a fucking HBO show that came out in 2016. I like location shooting. I like sets and stuff. And having to shoot on location. I do respect that. I do respect it when people do that because nowadays with how easy things are, you could just fucking go whatever, but having to, but actually going out there and trying to shoot at the mercy of bullshit nature. <laughs> I kind of have to respect that. And this is all shot incredibly well. Like all the fucking the town looks great. All the fucking landscape shots are fucking gorgeous. It all does feel like a Western. And every once in a while you get like little things like all the actors they have playing the robots. They do a really good job. Not sure if it's through the editing or what, but when the robots like break down or go like full robot. They do a really good job of showing that it's just like a very subtle thing. Like there's a bit in the first episode where Anthony Hopkins is down in like cold storage for all the other robots uh, talking to a robot who'd been decommissioned from the park. And he was like breaking down stuff. And you would see like as he moved, like every couple seconds, his movement would just like stop for a bit like his gears are hitching up. Mm. And it was all it all looked like incredibly natural. Well, it looked like like naturally unnatural, like unnaturally unnatural. And again, I don't know if it was through the editing or what, but the guy doing it just fucking sold it. And they did a great job with the sound design on it too, because if you weren't paying close enough attention, you wouldn't hear like the occasional like little gear whirl or just like a little like mechanical hiccup as his arm tried to move. And all the stuff with the robots, them them having to act human and whatever, it's all really subtle stuff, which is actually some was actually a plot point. Uh, in the first episode, they roll a new update that introduces, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but they are essentially small little things that, you know, normal people do that would, that would be given to the robots. Like, like a guy with a mustache would just like every once in a while, just like, kind of like, like kind of like run his fingers across his mustache to straighten it out. Yeah. Or like a hooker would just like occasionally like rubber lips with her finger or whatever. 
and while that was a plot point, like even just beyond that to the actual meta-ness of like the, of the actors acting like this, they all do a really great job with it. Like, especially Evan Rachel Wood is doing a great job. Uh, when there's, there's a bit where they're interviewing her, like just trying to like get where her like k- k- robot mind is. She kind of goes through like fucking five separate levels of like character. Like it starts out, they wake her up and she is, she starts freaking out with, with, you know, like, Oh my God, where am I? What's happening? Who are all you? Who are all you people? And it's like, all right, let's, all right, let's move motion. And then all the motion just stops. And then she's given her, and then she starts, then they start talking to her and she's talking in her accent, you know, her Southern drawl. It's like, let's lose the accent too. Yeah. And then just goes into just standard talking. And it's all done very seamlessly. Way, fun fact. Well, a lot of this was not actually really filmed on location per se. The fact that they used it at all. Like, some of it was done in uh, the Melody Ranch in uh, Santa Clarita, but they talk about how they actually used green screens around uh, the California sets in order to block out modern objects so that they could just be laterly, uh, later digitally merged with the exterior shots they're using from Utah. Okay, well, then that does take a bit back from what I said earlier, but still, they... Well, in a sense, it shows yeah, it does. the dedication. It's like a different type of. It's impressive in a different way. Yeah, the, the fact that I the fact that I didn't really notice any of that shit. Yeah, there's a Paramount Ranch and Melody Ranch were like the two exterior areas used, uh, which I think are both movie sets, but I'm not clear about Melody Ranch. It was Melody Ranch was uh, used in both Django Unchained and The Magnificent Seven. Uh-huh. Uh The recent Magnificent Seven. But I don't know where it's located. Outside of Santa Clarita, which is just a region. A city, rather. Yeah. So the show is good so far. Uh, like I said, I'm only two episodes in. I've heard it gets weird. But, yeah, I like the cast. I like the performances they've done so far. I am really enjoy the, like, set design and everything. Like, having the, like, having the, uh, you know, uh, like, the West, like, the Western stuff. And then having the incredibly, like, sterile and clean other side. Like, the, uh, like, you know, the, the factory side of things. Mm. Also, just, like, seeing the... This is something I don't. This is something that I might have had the same reaction to, but I think since I started DMing for D and D, I've like or like started getting more into D and D. It hit a bit harder for me because uh, there, there's a guy who is working on production who deals with storylines. Hmm. He'll like write out full speeches for stuff. He'll write out like campaigns, or whatever. And so he does try to railroad them a bit, but it's still at the same time trying to make it something that the guests come up with well, come up with for their own, like just something they do by themselves. And so it's a thing of having somebody with the idea of being a writer trying to write a story within the confines of of letting the guest do whatever they want. So like it's like the bit with this, like a he, he writes a storyline where he asked like where they the the point of the storyline is that a bunch of people in town die, 
so they so that uh the people who run the place are able to get them out of circulation tinker with them a bit to see if they're broken and then release them back into the park and so he so he gets the guy out there he that guy and his posse they kill like fucking 20 people or whatever and then the bad guy comes out is this the guy uh played by Xerxes uh i think so <laughs> i'm not sure you couldn't tell he has a very distinctive digitally modified voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the bad guy he walks out and he is like and he's about to give this big speech it's like all right listen and all of a sudden the fucking side of his neck blows out and we see some fucking shit bird guest who we'd seen before who with what were one of the people broke down just standing there, it's like, dude, I fucking shot him in the neck. That was great. You see that shit? We can make a picture with the dead body, dude. It'll be great. And just cut back to the guy who wrote who wrote that speech, and just the look of just utter disappointment. <laughs> just, I spent so long writing this speech, getting everything right, and this asshole just came up and shot him in the face. And like one of the people from like one of the people like in charge, like one of the executives, like. And don't worry, we're going to hear your speech one day. Hmm. And just that, the fact that this has happened multiple times, that he's written all this dialogue, all this, all this fucking backstory for this character, and just boom, shoot him in the face. <laughs> and just like, that's going to be happening. I've seen that happen in D&D games, and that's probably going to happen in a D&D game I'm running. And I just felt so bad for the guy, and I hate him, though. <laughs> like in world he is one of the more hateable characters in this cast right now hmm. and i was just like for that moment i was just like oh i'm sorry buddy yeah westworld i'm gonna stick with it for a bit seeing where it goes and yeah another we're watching then on to news. So, first up, IGN has released a uh, concept art or some like concept design for Alpha Five come from the new Power Rangers movie, and it is terrifying. I'm just gonna send Gord a link here so he can get a look at it and respond when respond in the way that I'm guessing they're responding. Just oh, that looks like a thing. He's not really a Power Rangers guy. Yeah, that looks like a thing. Yep. Talking with uh, James and Birdie when this design, when this design came out, we were we, all of us were just kind of screaming. Because my God, it looks disgusting. Like, I get that they can't just go with, you know, the original design because they would not fit in this movie at all. But you could do something better than a fucking pot-bellied frog with orangutan arms. You gotta be able to do better than that, dude. And yeah, this is just, like, early design, so it's probably likely to change a bit or look different when it's actually, you know, animated and moving. But fuck. 
It's going to be especially weird having Bill Hader's voice coming out of that thing. It depends on which voice. Yeah, fair. If he do, if he voices as Stefan, <laughs> I might actually want to see that movie. <laughs> I'm guessing he won't. But you never know. Or if he voices it as Donald Duck having a Vietnam flashback in his sleep. <laughs> Either way, I, I, I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah. So, moving on to next piece of news. A fairly big announcement from Netflix came recently. This has been a very SNL-heavy episode for me. Continue. Yeah, so it's a fairly big announcement from Netflix where uh, they have started to allow people to download select films and TV series to be able to allow people to view them offline. This is a fairly big move for uh, Netflix. Uh, it kind of get kind of break brings them in line with uh, places like Amazon Prime and YouTube Red, who have also allowed like offline viewing for their services. Hmm. And uh, yes, yeah, so the new download feature uh, works on you know Android, iOS phones, and tablets. Uh, but you'll need uh, iOS eight or later, and uh, or Android four point four point two or later to be able to access it. And as of right now. Uh, the shows that allows you to download are Orange is the New Black, Narcos, House of Cards, Stranger Things, The Crown, Master of None, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for their original programming. And then non-original programming, they have The Office, The Flash, The Hundred, Home, and Minions. Yeah, Minions. Uh, they'll be, uh, they'll be adding more uh, things to this download service as time progresses, probably. But yeah, still, that's kind of a big deal. And I, and I, I'm, I'm into that. I like having things to watch offline. You don't have Netflix, Cora, so I don't really. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. My response is, uh, yeah, that that's a. That's a thing. Yeah, moving on to really low-key piece of news, but something that I kind of appreciate. Uh, in the Lego Batman movie, Two-Face will be voiced by Billy D. Williams. All right. I think I heard about that. Yeah, that's... Uh, a thing? That's that's hilarious. Yeah, uh, so for those who don't no, know... No, because I mean, I've watched the original Batman a number of times, so I immediately get the casting significance of that yeah so uh for those who don't know uh in the 1989 tim burton movie batman uh billy d williams who some of you may who some of you youngins may know as lando calrissian from star wars um, yeah i think only young people would know that <laughs> he's been in other things that other people would know who are older but yeah okay fuck it whatever that was a stupid line yeah who you people at home, the folks at home, uh, might know as Lando Calrissian from Star Wars. Uh, he played Harvey Dent in that movie. Uh, this was before Harvey Dent became Two-Face, so it was just, hey, I'm Harvey Dent. And, yeah, he never really, he never got to play Two-Face in a movie. Yeah, he. it was in his contract that if they wanted someone else to play Two-Face, they would have to actually pay him money. Uh, to essentially buy out his contract, and that's what Schumacher did. 
Yeah. Because Tommy Lee Jones was just too perfect a casting to pass up. Yeah. So, uh, so this was confirmed uh, by by a Lego Batman movie director Chris McKay uh, in response to a fan question on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, so a guy on Twitter asked him, "Just please tell me, Billy D. Williams' voice is Two Face." Uh, to which Chris McKay responded, "He does." <laughs> Very simple answer. But yeah, that's kind of really cool. Yeah, this movie just keeps looking better and better. I cannot goddamn wait for Lego Batman movie. And then uh, we also got a bunch of fairly important-ish trailers for like relatively big movies. Uh, So we got one for the fifth Transformers movie. Because it's going to be a fifth Transformers movie. Still starring Mark Wahlberg. I have not seen it, nor do I care, but it's important because it's the fifth fucking movie. I'm actually surprised it's not more than that. Yeah, uh, we got a trailer for War of the Plan- War for the Planet of the Apes, the third movie in the reboot Planet of the Apes franchise. This one has Woody Harrelson as evil military man, but not really because all these movies have kind of been just, yeah, one or two guys are dicks, but you totally get where they're coming from. Hmm. Uh, we also got a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Sorry, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. Featuring Baby Groot. And Mantis. Yeah, and Mantis. Which, okay, I get why they didn't make her green, but that's also mildly distracting to me. <laughs> it's like one of those things, like, she's supposed to be green. She's not green. Like, just in the back of my head, I constantly, like, green. It's like, <laughs> I I didn't mind with Drax or anything, but it's one of those scenarios where... I because I know why they didn't make her green, i.e. Gamora, I yeah. constantly am just thinking of it. Yeah, so that trailer was there. Uh it's it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Baby Groot is adorable. He's gonna get merchandise the fuck out of. And then finally was just from Guardians one. Yeah, but now but now they have a whole image of him at the end. Yeah, but now they have a whole other fucking avenue with that little tiny suit he has. Yeah. He is admittedly one of the characters from Little Big Planet in a Marvel movie. Yeah, kinda. Now that you mention it, yeah, he does kinda look like Sackboy. Couldn't remember what the name was. Yeah, and then finally we got our first official trailer, two official trailers, actually, one domestic, one international, for Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, we did? Yes, we did. I was not aware. Yeah, it uh, came out uh, either yesterday or earlier today. 
and it is looking pretty damn good. You looking it up? Not at the moment. Going to watch it later, but I was curious as to why it hadn't appeared in my news feed at any point. Because, don't get me wrong, I like it when my news feed contains real, actual news, but if movie news is going to make it in there, why not that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, so the trailer uh, showed off a bit of Michael Keaton as the vulture. It showed off a couple seconds of uh, Bokeem Woodbine as Shocker. I got the name right? Yeah. Yeah, it showed off, uh, you know, Spider-Man being Spider-Man, what have you, and it... I really like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Yeah. Also, uh, so we also got to see a bit more, rea- more interaction between him and Iron Man. And-, and you say that, but you have not seen Neil Patrick Harris as Spider-Man. <laughs> I actually have. Okay. Yeah, he uh, he actually voiced him for a couple of video games. Okay, I was not aware. Yeah, and we also got to see a bit more, like, uh, in terms of technical aspects for the suit, because there's a bit where uh, Tom Holland is, like, kind of crawling along the ceiling of Spider-Man, uh, then he sees then he sees that his buddy is hanging out there building a Lego Death Star. You know, references. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets shattered when he sees it, and then, then Peter just kind of drops down from the ceiling, pushes the spider emblem on his chest, and the suit actually, like, undoes itself. Which is interesting. It is it that's kind of a cool technical aspect of the suit. That kind of like where like it's just kind of like when when he's not wearing it, it is just you know loose fabric. But when he hits the button, it like form fits. Holy crap! Neil Patrick Harris voiced veteran child in Saints Row. <laughs> yeah, he did. Sorry, I did not know that. Yes, he did. Yeah, then we also got to look at a a character who, in the promotional material for uh, the movie leading up to it, uh, like describing the character, they describe him as Genki from uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, which fits a lot. Hmm. Uh, Genki, for those who don't know, is the is the you know roommate at the boarding school for Miles Morales, the Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, he's one of the first uh, people to find out that he is Spider-Man, and he's also a really fun character. Who works well off of Miles? Yeah, he's going to be a new character for the Peter Parker side of things. And yeah, we've seen the archetype before, but he looks like he's going to be doing a pretty all right job about it. Also, saw five seconds of Zendaya as somebody. Not everyone was like assuming that she should be playing Mary Jane or whatever. And ended up being what it is. It started freaking the balls out. Like, oh my god, non-white person playing Mary Jane. Ah! We don't. I'm not really sure who she's playing. Let's see if they actually have released information about that. Homecoming. Uh, oh, her name is Michelle. Okay. It also looks like they're uh, taking the love interest away from Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy, moving it over to Liz Allen. 
character from the comics. Uh, she is a love interest of his, uh, and then eventually kind of grows out of that and does other stuff with her life. Uh, ends up owning Alchemex, the company that is the evil mega corporation of Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. So that'll all be happening. But yeah, seeing like seeing like the vulture suit, it looks fucking great. And I'm actually really surprised and kind of excited about seeing the vulture as the main bad guy in a Spider Man movie. Because we've he's been one of the Spider Man villains who hasn't really gotten his due. Like the Vulture is a villain that has been around for ever. And having him be the bad guy finally in this big movie is great. I have like I've, I've talked with James a lot about you know who we want to see as the bad guy in a Spider-Man movie now. And one thing that I thought of was like you know maybe bringing in Craven or something. But Vulture is just fine too. Like having him be the bad guy is it kind of feels like it's about damn time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Spider-Man is, uh, and, you know, came, this had came, come up previously when K-Men stated that, oh, he didn't care about Marvel getting the rights to Spider-Man because he's kind of just sick of the thing. I think it also came up in a similar context with Fantastic Four. It's not even so much about the hero getting adapted at this point. It's the rogues gallery that that opens up. Yeah. Like, that is one of the biggest wins. Yeah, yeah, we're getting fucking access to Doc Ock, Craven, Mysterio, Vulture, like I was just saying, Shocker, the fucking gaggle of goblins. Yeah. Namely, Osborne. Osborne. It's difficult to get Osborne to work, but there is a particular way to do it. And he can be very useful as both the Joker and the Lex Luthor. Of the Marvel Universe. I really want to get the Hobgoblin on this shit. Yeah, the Hobgoblin I would definitely like to see. Yeah, and not just like him as the Hobgoblin, but him as the fucking villain broker. Because one of the things that happened with Hobgoblin was after he kind of, you know, had his stint in the suit. He started, like, getting the costumes and equipment for a bunch of different supervillains and basically leasing them out to other people. Hmm. So like, so like, oh, hey, I want to be a supervillain, but I can't come up with an identity. I don't have the technology. It's like, oh, just pay me like fucking $80,000 and like 10 and like 50% of what you make. And then I'll give you access to the equipment and identity of the fucking stinger or of somebody else. Yeah. Just getting this huge collection of just like discarded materials and equipment and making a fucking buck off that. That's kind of the thing I love about the Hobgoblin. But yeah, movie looks really good. But to check it out. But at this, but at this point, me saying, "Hey, this Marvel movie looks really good," <laughs> is just redundant. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that'll be coming. That'll be coming in July next year. So look forward to that, people. Another <laughs> for news and stuff. New releases. Uh. 
some stuff coming out this week. Nocturnal Animals. La La Land. Yeah, I was hopeful. Well, La La Land has gotten pretty damn good reception. I've heard great things about it. I was hopeful for Nocturnal Animals, but haven't heard anything spectacular about it. It's good, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Also, Office Christmas Party. Which is just a bunch of comedy actors wanted a paycheck. Um, I don't want to write that off because while I didn't necessarily find myself all that interested in it, it looked more promising than the trailers for most comedies I see. It's currently sitting at a it's currently sitting at a forty four with a fifty five percent audience rating. Yeah, the audience ratings what would kill that for me then. Uh, well, then again it comes out today so i wonder how many of the people that actually rated that actually saw it but yeah we'll see the thing about it is comedies do tend to ride a bit lower in the scores and usually if a comedy does well on something like rotten tomatoes it's not necessarily because it's hilarious it's because it's got a good story and well written and well acted but yeah. the comedy the comedy isn't always reflected well in those scores. Yeah. So it's it's a little harder to judge them based on reception because comedy is just that subjective. Yeah. Uh, then also coming out uh, this week, the brand new Steven Seagal movie. Because Steven Seagal's alive. Eh... <laughs> it's not reaction to the movie it's a re- it's a reaction to the statement that steven seagal is alive uh he's alive enough to make a movie uh, <laughs> it's more of a weekend at bernie situation at this point <laughs> just steven seagal's being kept steven seagal's kept moving and making movies through a series of advanced animatronics and hamburgers, yeah. <laughs> Animatronics and hamburgers. That is what fuels Steven Seagal movies at this point. Well, yeah, they need they need the hamburgers, you know, to fuel the animatronics. Like the power cells in there run off of bacon, run off of grease. Ah, uh, then next week. Which and that's to be fair, that is not fair. There's a lot of training and hard work that goes into those stunts. Steven Seagal is not involved in them in the slightest, but there are people working hard in those movies. Well, working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then next week uh, we have Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I haven't heard of that one. And that's basically it for next week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, going forward, anything else is going to be indie or focused. Like, yeah, yeah. It's... We have a new starring vehicle for Anthony Hopkins and fucking Colin Farrell. I think. Okay. Yep, Colin Farrell. Okay. So uh, then, going forward into the new year, uh, since we won't be here to talk about these, uh, the new the Assassin's Creed movie. Coming out the twenty first. I 
I feel like I'm just fucking shooting for the stars right now, but I want that to be good. How weird would it be if that was the one that was good? A game franchise that's only ever been pretty great finally turned in an adaptation that is good. Yeah. It would be a bit weird. Uh, like then, if Call of Duty was had a film that was a success and was well written and had complex characters. Modern Warfare adaptation of that, arguably. Fair enough. But I'm looking at more how it's gone since then. Yeah, like we're not it's like, like yeah, like you look fucking... far enough back, you'll find a, some decent properties but in truth assassin's creed actually makes more sense than uh call of duty at this point yeah a little outside bit outside of the fact that you could just make any war movie and slap call of duty on it yeah uh not saying we can assassin's creed as passengers sci-fi movie with chris mm. pratt and jennifer lawrence looks interesting yep uh december 23rd we have a monster calls Uh, adaptation of a book with uh, with Liam Neeson as a tree man. And a story that I believe is an allegory for helping a boy deal with his mom dying of cancer. I, I've actually think I've seen a scene from that where Liam Neeson's character is the monster and he's called and he's saying, I have a very particular set of skills. That That's it, right? Close enough. Yeah, okay. And those set of skills are storytelling. So back in the day. And then that's basically it until the new year. At which point we can talk about the movies coming out in January when we come back. <laughs> Y'all ready for that new Underworld? Or that new Amityville movie? I am all about the new Triple X whenever that's coming out. Oh, hell yeah, dog. Fucking... <laughs> Xavier Woods telling, or whatever. Xavier Cage. I don't fucking know what his name Jimmy is. Jimmy and was telling him, it's like, you know what we really need? A sequel to Swordfish. Fuck yeah, dog. I mean, fucking. <laughs> this I mean, time, I, I mean, after they Lo- strapped the bus to a rocket. <laughs> I mean, fucking after goddamn Logan comes out, uh, Hugh Jackman's done making Wolverine movies. So we need some kind of paycheck. And what's John Travolta doing right now? Fucking nothing. That's what. <laughs> anyway, those are new releases that can be over for this week. Thank you all for joining us. That's going to do it for this year, actually. Going out on the fucking resounding note on that. Because <laughs> I really have to go to the bathroom. So, we'll be back for the next episode of the DestroProds.com Movies Television Podcast on January 6th. Uh, we're taking our customary two-week break uh, at the end of the year, going from the 18th to the 31st. Uh, podcast will officially be starting back on January 1st with anything cast, then going back into the regular rotation. Uh, next movie's podcast, like I said, January 6th. In between now and the beginning of our break, we're going to be having regular run news, baby, news, podcasts. Ow! Kinds of bullshit, but until now, the dead man. And I'm Cora. And we'll see you guys in 2017.